Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to Family Business Radio. I am your host, Anthony Chen. You're listening into the first episode as we kick off 2024. Today, we have an amazing guest. We have Casey Jenkins with 828 Consulting LLC. Casey, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. Thank you. So share with our audience the story of what got Casey to open up her own business and why specifically into the logistics and operations side of things. (laughs) So that's actually a really funny story. So I fell into supply chain by chance and I stayed in it by choice. Originally, I actually wanted to be a meteorologist. So I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be able to predict the weather. And I got about five years into the real world and I was working within logistics and supply chain and was sitting there thinking, what do I need to do now? What do I do with my career? Do I keep going with weather and get more education there? Or do I shift and pivot and go into supply chain business and learn more about this? Because I really enjoyed it. And (laughs) I ended up going into supply chain. And then it wasn't until years later that I actually realized weather and supply chain are really similar and that they're both processes. So throughout my career, I started to realize how things happen in a sequential order, right? Mm -hmm. Disruptions occur and it changes an output, right? Which is exactly what supply chain and various business operations are. And so then once it came to that realization, it was like, oh, no wonder I liked weather. It's the same as supply chain. No wonder I went into supply chain. So I've done everything within the industry, pretty much. I've done everything from brokerage to transportation management to international logistics, international supply chain management. I went into tech for a little bit. So worked with a TMS platform and then decided to go off on my own and start to help companies, you know, with their processes and specifically within supply chain. Now, of course, the word supply chain probably wasn't as popular or sexy until 2020 came along and then everything was all about (laughs) supply chain. So for those who are listening for the first time to the stereotype, oh, supply chain, they probably, the first thing they're thinking of, trucking, maybe shipping. What, other than those two major factors, what what are some some myths you would like to dispel and say, actually, that's like a side picture. Here's what supply chain really is about. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting you say that because I feel like you can ask 10 people, right? What is supply chain? And they'll all give you a different answer. And like you said, it wasn't really popular until throughout COVID. And I say that because I got my master's in supply chain management before COVID. And at that point, even, which was back in 2020, right? When COVID took off and things started going off the rails, even then no one really knew what supply chain was or how everything within the different operations function together. And so most will think, Yeah, it's transportation, right? It's shipping on a boat. It's getting the stuff from the port. It's then making your delivery domestically or within other countries, right? But it actually encompasses manufacturing. It encompasses procurement, raw material acquisition. It encompasses even your warehousing and distribution. It encompasses customer service. And actually, I would argue that it encompasses sales marketing, because all of that feeds into those other functional areas and components within a business. It's a lot 
further reaching than just the trucking side or the logistics side of things. Everything is dependent on each other. So while those are components, they depend on all those precursor activities to occur to make sure that the product can actually be transported to the end user. So it's a lot more end-to-end and broader than what I think a lot of people these days think it is. So it's important to think of it on a more large-scale perspective versus just one aspect of it. And you mentioned your interest initially was going into meteorology. What are the similarities between that and supply chain? <laughs> like, it's funny because I often think of like the water cycle, right? You know how okay. like when rain forms, it goes through evaporation and then it mm-hmm. goes into condensation, then it rains and it repeats that circular motion. It's supply chains the same way, right? You produce a product, you ship it you distribute it and then the customer receives it, right? Then they end up having to buy another product or they end up having to repeat buy different products that happen. So it becomes a circular activity. But with that too, though, it's just a process, right? And disruptions within each of those processes change an outcome to where then another process starts. So within supply chain specifically, we saw how during COVID containers were held up at the port, right? Mm -hmm. So what did people do? They found alternative ways to be able to move their freight or they went to different ports or they identified new ideas of how can we do this better that then changed the outcome and ways of doing things. So it's I see the similarities in the two. (laughs) Of course, if you're not like within weather on a daily basis or how it all works and the forecasting related to it, you may not make that connection. But Mm. because I have that and I've seen it, like there's a lot of similarities in that they're both processes and steps have to occur for things for an output to uh, come to fruition. Since you brought up the word forecast, and of course, for me, a lot of people, when they look at the weather report and it says it's going to be rain or sunny, and then you go out, it's complete opposite, it's like a, a coin flip. Now, is it a little bit more controlled or a bit more predictable in, in the supply chain world, or other than, of course, the obvious 2020, where it's just a wild card? Yeah, I will say that a lot of technology solutions have actually helped with being able to make demand and supply forecasting a little more precise. One of the biggest things, though, that a lot of companies have encountered coming out of COVID was we experienced a very classic bullwhip, like textbook bullwhip effect. And so a lot of companies, when they couldn't get their freight in, their signals triggered back that more needed to be produced because we were stocking out of certain items. And so we ended up producing. So now companies are seeing once that freight was able to come in, all the inventory is filling up in their warehouses and they're not able to sell it. So it's now bloated, right? So we've done, I think a lot of companies learned through that lesson that, you know, using technology, using different models, using new ways to actually better forecast and better demand plan and be become more precise because otherwise you're bleeding money with having too much inventory. So <laughs> it's definitely something that I saw over 2023 that companies were focusing on. And I think it's something that will carry into this upcoming year as well. So then leads to the next question, because it used to be all the academic GIT, like just in time. So, right. so actually, before even diving further for our audience, kind of, can you describe like what was that model like and what are we transitioning into some business uh, owners or business in, in general talking about instead of just in time, just in case. And then, as you mentioned, the bullwhip of, okay, maybe we're just too much inventory. Right. Yeah. So a lot, 
the concept of just in time is being able to order products to where they arrive at just the right moment to where you're not storing them for long periods of time. So one of the biggest things is when you actually store inventory, you're incurring cost, right? Over the months that you're holding it. Now, inventory is an asset. So you're holding on to that asset and it's incurring additional cost. You're just continuing to take loss the longer you hold it. Okay. So just in time is a way to deliver it in when it's needed and when it's going to be bought. So that way you're not holding on to these additional items or incurring additional costs. Now, I will say companies have tried the just-in-case method, which is, again, storing inventory and holding on to it. I do actually honestly feel like there's a good blend between the two, and I think it comes down to managing different levels of your inventory, setting thresholds that actually can, I guess, mitigate if you start to run low on inventory, like your safety stock and setting different thresholds of when to reorder. And that's what I'm saying is where technology solutions have come into play to be able to help give that data uh, more visibility so people can make better decisions on, hey, do we need to reorder right now? Do we need to maybe wait a little longer? Is the demand going to pick up again? Or can we just, you know, go ahead and order that next batch? So I think it depends on what a company's operations are and what their goals are too. That's one thing that, you know, I try to, when I consult companies, I try to look at what is your goal, right? Because at the end of the day, like, if we're all trying to set initiatives and projects to improve things, but we don't really have a direction on where it's headed, then it's not going to stick or be the right thing. And that's something when you're looking at those methods of just in case, just in time, or however your ordering patterns are going to be, you need to figure out long-term, what's your goal with this? It's not just a short-term fix. It's a long-term initiative. Yeah, it sounds like there's a, a lot of factors for, for a single business or even a C-suite to really figure things out, especially if this is not something they do every single day, which I'm assuming right. leading up to your position, how is it that you're able to come in and help these businesses figure that out? Yeah, so I'd say that a lot of companies, and especially I primarily work with smaller companies, one of the things that I enjoy about small companies is that they're they're so prideful about what they've built, right? And, and they love to be able to learn and how to grow and how to scale and how to do it the right way. And that's something where I like to be able to go into these companies and work with them on that personalized level because every business is unique and the solution for one may not be a solution for another. The processes for one may not be the same processes for someone else. And I like to figure out where are your core capabilities, where are your core knowledge is, and what incremental steps forward can you take that aren't complete overhauls? I think that's a common misconception with trying to make changes, and especially within smaller companies, is that you, you think that you have to make such a drastic change or use the latest buzzwords or come up with robots doing whatever. It's not necessarily the case. Um, and so I like to go into these companies and identify from a very strategic level, you know, where are your gaps? Where are your inefficiencies? What do your processes look like? What are ways that we can close them and take just small steps forward to increase your knowledge and your abilities over time and not all at once? Because that's going to be a longer lasting impact on being able to have the initiative stick versus just making a drastic change is going to fall to the wayside. So you're coming in with a perspective of making smaller incremental changes or just throwing the whole process out because it could sometimes be a little intimidating or the business owner might say, okay, I have to invest 
how much or, or right. how much do I have to change? So this being very much in your alley of knowing what to exactly spot, but for our listeners, whether they're in the business themselves or whether they're working with a business owner, what is the top three things that you look into that they might be seeing every day, but they're just because they're not in a know, they're unaware of? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I would say is one, how to utilize your systems, your ERP, your WMS, your TMS, utilizing your systems better. The biggest thing that I've actually noticed, that's the first thing, but the biggest thing that I've noticed is that a lot of times people will think that they need a complete new system. That's the biggest thing right now going on within supply chain is, you know, we need all this latest and greatest technology. I'm not denying that technology improvements are not needed, but, you know, for a lot of small businesses, you do not need a robot in your warehouse picking your stuff. Like you you don't necessarily need that. And I don't want to deter people from looking into those options maybe in the future, but identify ways that you can take your current system, the current investment that you made on that system and still continue to get a return maybe five, seven years later. It's looking at how is your data flowing through that system and talking with your other systems or what are the processes around using that system that can use a little bit of improvement or what are the features within that system that you may not be using, but that they're offered and you just didn't even know they're offered yet. That's one of the things. The other thing I would say is within, if you're a manufacturer, within your manufacturing processes, identify are there any areas within that that you can increase throughput, right? Or you can get better volume running through your operations. And I know a lot of your bigger companies these days have like top-notch equipment. They've got all sorts of stuff where throughput rates are calculated. But some of your smaller companies may not even realize that their manufacturing setup isn't right for what they need in terms of how are raw materials flowing through your facility. There can be waste in that. Are your resources grouped in the right way to where they're producing and manufacturing a product in the right manner or in the most efficient way? So even looking at that stuff is going to be a key as well. The other thing I would say is, especially within your transportation and shipping, logistics, that side of things, obviously looking at how is your network distributed, right? Is your network distributed in a way where it's close enough to your customer base to reduce your last mile? Or is your network distributed in a way where you're avoiding risk if it's coming from another country and you have to figure out another mode to get it into ours, right? So things like that that you can actually dive into as well. So I'd say between manufacturing technology and uh, your transportation logistics processes, those are probably key ones to be focused on. Obviously, procurement, that's another area and making sure that your raw material prices are, you're getting the, I guess, best prices with your suppliers and under, and undergoing like supplier performance and things like that, just to make sure that you're avoiding risk on the very front end of your supply chain. But I would definitely say with your technology, the transportation side, and then, you know, within your manufacturing itself. Good that you brought up, I mentioned we're just going to segue perfectly to the next obvious elephant room question, especially for the manufacturers or retailers who are ordering either supplies or the end product from outside the country. Because it was back then was all the rage of being just in time and right. out or offshoring. But now the kind of the two, since we're talking about terms nowadays, is either nearshoring or reshoring or whatever that may be. So just for a quick recap for our uh, audience to find what those are and what are the strengths, pros, and cons for, for those are terms to really, as you touch a little bit, is to mitigate certain risks so we don't have 
another like a shock to the system and, and go through that 2020 scenario all over again. Yeah. So nearshoring is basically bringing your, I guess, like your manufacturing or your resources closer to where you can tap into them and bringing them into the countries a lot closer than from a different location. And then obviously, like when you look at outsourcing, that's leveraging an outside partner, no matter where they're at in the globe, to be able to produce or provide a service for you. And that's just not under your umbrella or under your roof. One of the things I will say is I think companies really need to look at nearshoring and outsourcing and things like that from a perspective of where is your customer base? And I probably say this because I'm a black belt and lean Six Sigma. So I approach things with a very customer centric approach and an outward in approach. So I look at it as where's my customer base at? How can I get products manufactured and shipped to them or whatever, provide them a service in the fastest manner that customer service is top of mind for me, but also like lowest cost because that's important too. But so I look at the, where's my customer base at? And then build out from there, what's going to be the best method in terms of your last mile, in terms of your middle mile, in terms of your front end of, you know, the operations and try to look at it from that perspective versus what's closest to like bringing it into the country. I think it a lot of, and maybe this is my geography major coming into play. How is your network distributed, right? If you're, and I'll use an example. I used to manufacture retail displays over in China. Okay. Now our customers, we would distribute within the U S all over the U S or we would have it, you know, to one of the distribution centers in the Midwest or Southeast. Okay. So when I would bring containers from China to Long Beach is where I normally pulled them in through, I would then have to figure out transportation from California halfway across the country. And I would sit there and go, that doesn't make sense. That's not cost effective or that's not, that doesn't make sense when my customer is located on the Eastern half or located in the Midwest. Can I pull through a different port? Can I restructure my network of distribution to fit where my customer is at, either whether it's for a one-off or if you've got repeated volume coming through? And so I think companies need to approach outsourcing or working with suppliers or nearshoring in that manner of identifying, really looking into where's your customer base at. Now, if they're nationally dispersed, then you may want to look at it on a a product level. What types of products are going where and how do you structure your network and your manufacturing and your resources around that? And and like I said, that might be my Six Sigma or my lean background coming into play of having that outward in approach. But I think it's something that that really can drive where companies are looking at adding suppliers and providers to help them in a more efficient and cost-effective way. So what is something that is like a major pain point for a company where they would finally realize, oh, we, we are way over our heads. We need to bring someone like a Casey coming in because they, they're just going to keep going on autopilot until things break down and then realize, oh, there's a problem here. Yeah, I think you see it a lot of times. And I actually, I just talked about this with someone else the other day about how with specifically related right now with inventory and transportation. And this goes back to that just in time, just in case type I guess, perspective. You have to think of your 
total cost of ownership when you manufacture a product or how your finances aren't just isolated to a functional area, right? You have to look at it from the end-to-end full business perspective. And I say that because let's say you want to bring inventory in and house it and hold it, right? And, And store it just so you have it just in case, right? But then you have to send it out. You'll send it out with the cheapest transportation to get it to the customer, right? You're then incurring a bloated inventory cost, but you're saving money on the transportation, right? If you switch it and you go to a just-in-time method where you might have to, you know, bring the inventory in, you don't have the warehousing inventory cost, but then you're paying more for the shipping to be able to get it in faster, to be able to then get it to the customer faster, right? So I think it it comes down to you have to look at things from a more end-to-end business as an entirety perspective and not be looking at things of, you know, this functional area is fine, but we're actually spending money in another. And you'll tend to see that. I'm sure your CFO will be breathing down your neck (laughs) if you're a a VP of a functional area of where you need to reduce your costs. But when that comes about, it's a perfect opportunity to then look at it from that total cost of ownership perspective or look at it from the perspective of having a more holistic end-to-end type look. And even if you look at it and you start to identify on the balance sheet where you're bleeding costs, that's a great time to go, hey, wait a second. If we're having expense bloated in transportation, could that be a deeper rooted issue within our manufacturing that we didn't even know was a problem where we're having to spend more money on transportation, right? It's all connected. And so looking at the balance sheet, that's going to be your first indication of that you've got a problem. (laughs) Good. Especially now with that kind of bit of definitely winning the the accountants or the financial or the CFO side into the picture where it's not just as you mentioned, oh, outside is fine because we are, let's say, delivering under a number of days. It's all hunky-dory. But at a significantly higher elevated transportation cost, as you mentioned, of that needing that expedited delivery. So that's that really big picture teamwork approach of it's not just a metric of low, let's say, days in warehousing or delivery, but what is it really netting us? And I think too, it's it's one of those things where, and of course, it's not a perfect science, right? I And one of the other reasons I like working with small businesses is because they're at a point where they can actually have this stuff set up correctly and they don't get too far down the rabbit hole of inefficiency. And then you have to make drastic changes down the road. But like some of these more complex and larger organizations where this stuff, it's not an easy fix anymore because it has gotten, the problem's been I guess, overblown and it has extended into multiple functional areas within the organization. So it's important to start fixing these things ahead of time. So if you do start seeing, let's say, a bloated cost with your transportation, take a look at it, right? Bring someone in to look at that and get that outside perspective to say, hey, you know what? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Have you thought of A, B, C, D, E? That could be the problem or dive deeper into what that problem is. Because if you just keep going with it, it's going to blow up into a much bigger issue five, seven, 10 years down the road that then is going to require a massive initiative to fix and probably a lot more complexity. Mm-hmm. So, so your, your prescription here is 
fixing or nipping the bud of the problem yeah. while it's small before it just right. becomes like a full-blown tumor. And, and that's the thing with any error or disruption or anything within an organization. And I'll use a simple example. Let's say that you've got a process that you've been doing every day for the last year, and you know what you're doing, but you suddenly make a small entry error in it, right? And that one small entry error trickle, trickles down into the rest of your processes within the rest of the subsequent processes. If you don't catch it then, right? Let's say you make that error a second time, a third time, a fourth time. If you're not careful that you have this one small error, you won't realize until way in advance that one small thing has become a much greater issue. So even with small errors, whether they're one-offs or even small repeated errors, identify what those problems are, dive into what the root is and figure out, hey, is this a one-time thing that we're just human, we made a mistake? Or is this a repeated problem that we could see becoming an issue in the long term? Because you'd rather fix it now than make it be something that it didn't need to be. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a, a butterfly, except this time is all related to manufacturing or just logistics. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's if companies would actually look at their entire business system as one giant process with like kind of subsequent processes underneath it and mm -hmm. feeding into it, it makes sense then how one small thing can actually trickle into other areas. And I, I actually have likened this to like within a lot of companies, you have an org chart, right? You start off with the CEO or the C-suite, then you got the VPs, directors. Same concept can actually be applied within your business and within your operations and within those processes. And when you start to look at it that way and see how you've got an issue within a functional area, that trickles up into the more the higher level. That then feeds up into the next level and that feeds up into the strategic level. And then you're not operating as a perfect machine. Like all the different activities, tasks, functional areas, those are all cogs within the overall business system. And when you look at it from that perspective, you then realize, oh, we have a problem. We need to fix it. So it stays isolated and doesn't become infiltrated into everything else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let me kind of segue to the next uh, elephant in the room question. The company name, 828. What, what's the significance of that particular number? Yes. So it's actually my favorite Bible verse, which is Romans 828. But it's also, I'm from Western North Carolina. My area code is 828. So oh. it works out perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the numbers have some significance for me. But then also when I came up with like the tagline of taking your company to the summit, I wanted that connection to back home with the mountains and making sure that companies are reaching their full peak potential. <laughs> Do you might just remember what the exact, not word for word, but what the verse was supposed to represent? Yeah, it's so I actually have it. I have it sitting oh. on my desk. It's, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so when I set out to actually start this business, I felt called into it and I wanted something that was meaningful to me and meaningful to my calling. And mm -hmm. so, but it had other like significance as well. And it was funny when the name popped into my head, I was like, that's weird. like, where did that come from? And then I started to piece it together and was like, oh, oh, there's another like 
reason of why this is like the perfect name. That kind of speaks uh, of all coming full circle because you you started your journey as, as a meteorologist trying to talk about all process and and the. Yep. I guess to call it the water cycle. And now right. we're, you're shifting that into the product cycle of things. Right. right. And, and predicting weather. Now you're trying to predict crazy events right. <laughs> throughout the world. Now, now, the other thing is kind of looking through the news, there's this supposed drought with, with the Panama Canal, and that's becoming a problem. And, and then, of course, the Middle East going on in the Middle right. East, or the trade, or rather shipping lanes over there. What is something that in 2024, businesses that are looking to import like this is already we thought 2020 was going to be crazy enough what is something that they should keep an eye out and begin starting to think about all right here's what we know what's going on here's something we should at least put in our back pocket we right. know it doesn't mean we have to play the card but at least have the card in our back right. pocket to draw on yeah i would say that the biggest thing that i think was a great learning experience out of covid was the fact that a lot of companies lacked a risk management plan. Um, and so I would say that it's companies should be looking at what is our plan to manage risk from here on out. No matter what the disruption is, we're going to be facing disruptions. And with as complex as businesses and supply chains have become, risk is all around us these days, right? There's all sorts of disruptions that can occur on a daily basis. And so companies need to be prepared to expect the unexpected, and that's through having a risk management plan. Identify your known risks. That's pretty, uh, we know that, you know, every winter, right, mm -hmm. some of these places are going to be getting snowstorms, okay? If you've got trucks moving through or you're shipping out of or your warehouse is near a snow-filled area, you know that this time of year is exposed to that risk, Right. If you're in the southeast or along the coast every summer and fall, you could potentially have a hurricane, right? So there's some risks that are known that you can have mitigation plans for. And I think it's important for companies to realize that if you stopped and looked at the disruptions that have occurred and what potential risks that they already know that they have, then you can be prepared for those. So when they happen, all you have to do is release that risk plan and be ready to rock and roll, right? And for the unknown risks, I would say that it's more of being prepared to have, you know, assessing the risk, communication plans, what should we do it, once you know, the risk is assessed. If it's severity one, do we do A, B, C, D, E. If it's two, we do this. Having at least some sort of framework or basic directionally correct plans to where when unknown risk presents itself, you can be ready to jump into action and dive into how, what do we need to do pretty quickly. So I would say companies should be focusing on risk management. If you don't have a risk management plan, you need to get one. <laughs> so, so that's the other thing is, is especially not just after 2020, but uh, for the past, I would say two or even three years with IT security breaches. Does that fall in line with operations in, in risk and logistics as well? I mean, it can with as technical as we've all become and with how much we rely on different platforms for all sorts of data and information. Security from the IT side is huge, especially, I mean, with as much visibility as we're trying to create within supply chains, you know, with partners and suppliers and vendors and all sorts of stuff, that level of security is going to be a necessity 
for companies. So I would say that is another huge initiative that companies should be looking at is making sure that their systems and platforms and softwares are all secure from any sort of security risk. And but I would say that falls under kind of a risk management plan. So like risk management encompasses every functional area. So if you're in an organization, you come up with a risk management plan, that should be for every aspect of your business. You should have a, a plan for whatever risk that might present itself. So it sounds like a bit more pressure being in, in operational logistics <laughs> work than in VL. Because VL, worst thing is you get the prediction wrong, someone get wet in the rain. But here, what we're talking about jobs and, and, and supply, maybe even something as critical as, let's say, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it's uh, honestly, it's I've heard people say how it's a stressful industry to be in. And it takes a certain type of person to enjoy the stress of it. But I would say that it's what makes the industry kind of fun and engaging is that it is so challenging and different. And that's something I enjoy. I know not everyone likes that, but I enjoy that, right? Like I enjoy the fact that there is a stress level related to it and that there's always problems that need to be solved and that there's always new ways that we can do things or make them better. Or, hey, we do have something critical like that we have to figure out how do we do it. But I would say too that the industry is pretty collaborative, which is good. And there's a lot of people out there, if you network and you know get to know people within the industry, that bouncing off ideas nowadays is, is so key to being able to come or overcome these complex problems or challenges that might arise. Mm-hmm. Speaking of stress, also, how do you do your own stress and risk management for yourself? As, as you try to keep saying, helping your business owners navigate the insanity <laughs> out there. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Like, I actually, I don't find any of this to be stressful for me. And I don't know if it's just over time I've learned that. I I think we often have to keep in mind the level of severity of what we do, right? For me personally, I'm not working with anything that's life or death, right? So I know that if in a stressful situation, it's okay, let's figure this out together. We don't need to be, you know, let's not bring stress into it, right? Let's just try to collaborate. Let's try to communicate. Let's try to lean on each other. Let's try to get through this together, right? And not make it something that doesn't need to be, right? So I try to keep my emotions in check. That's one. The other thing is is I, my schedule is insane. So my days start at 3.30 in the morning. I work out twice a day. I'm starting my PhD here in about a week. And then I try to, I'm on I co-host a podcast. I have my own show. I'm active on LinkedIn. I all sorts of things. So to be able to juggle all that, I go to the gym twice a day. And it's my way of being able to disconnect and clear my head. Once in the morning, I wake up, I go, I clear my head, I'm fresh. Then once in the afternoon, I release some of that stress that I experienced during the day. And then I have a clear head before I go to bed. So that's your secret, hitting the gym twice a day to get that stress out. For me, it works. For other people, it might be something else. I One of the other things, too, I've tried to do is uh, get outside a little more, Mm -hmm. especially during my day, like taking a walk and just enjoying and disconnecting for an hour or so just to clear my head. But I think it's important to have a different perspective on some of this stuff and realize, like I said, specific to what you do, of course, but identify what is urgent, what is not, 
do we really need to make everything urgent? Or can we delineate the more priority type items and realize that some things may have to take an extra day to do, and that's okay if they're lower priority. Um, but it's all about just setting expectations too, and then balancing your own emotions and perspective. <laughs> wow, great. So then for our listeners, at least there's that takeaway of if there's stress, <laughs> look at it through a different perspective. Or just hit gym once or twice a day. Maybe if they go to a heavy bag and just punch the crap out of yeah, it and, and that really let, let that stress out. Yeah. So how can our uh, listeners get some insight in terms of really wrap their arm around whether it's risk management or at least set good step practices early on while there's a small business and good habits coming in as opposed to 10 years down the line and it becomes almost an ordeal to fix something right. that's small. Yeah. How can they best so- find you? Yeah. So for me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way to find me and reach out to me, Casey Jenkins. And I've got a bunch of letters after my last name, (laughs) but LinkedIn's probably the easiest way. And one thing I will say is independent consultants like myself are always great resources because we tend to have perspectives that are, you know, different. We've seen experience and have experience from multi- companies or even within our own experience within the job market. So it's always a great way to leverage different types of expertise. Even if it's not me, there's a lot of great independents out there who've got a wealth of knowledge that can be tapped into and used. And at least if it would set you on the right path. Thank you. And then to bring you back to give you some some time to think over this follow-up question would be, you mentioned a lot about the small business as you're starting young to really build good habits early on. But sometimes they might be too new or maybe the business owner, maybe let's say call it three or five years in, they're just not sure if they're at that point where they need to bring right. someone like you in. So what is, let's say, two or three signs that lets them know for our listeners, hey, okay, I, I'm almost there or I'm already there. What are those signs that they should be keeping an eye out on to know if they're ready to bring someone like you in? So that so I'll give you some time okay. to think it a little over. So of course, for our <laughs> listeners, there's already avid listeners to this podcast is the legally side of the show. This show is sponsored and brought to yours truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Securities and Advisory Services offered through Ozaic member Finra SIPC. Ozaic here is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Ozaic. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me, connect with me on LinkedIn or my office number at 631-465-9090. Extension is 5075. Or my email, which is really just my full name, Anthony Chen, C-H-E-N at L-F-N-L-L-C.com. Now, kind of quick recap of that question was, New business owners, as they're growing and they're hearing this, they believe in your mission, but I'm not sure when I'm ready. What, what are the two or three things I should that lets me know, okay, I'm ready? Honestly, if you're not sure if you're ready, reach out. Because usually a lot of times just having a conversation, people from my side are able to say or ask those questions or what are some problem areas or have you experienced A, B, C, D, E, Right. Or if you have a problem that you know and you can't figure out how you know to resolve it yourself, it's always great to get an outside perspective. The other thing is it can never hurt 
just to bounce ideas off of people every so often anyway. I know it's something I do personally myself. So even if you know don't realize you have a problem, check in with your colleagues, check in with you, different people within your company and just ask and have a conversation of what's going on. And sometimes that'll shed light that, hey, we've got a problem and we need someone else to come in and look at this. Well, thank you. So thank you for the little tips and gems of wisdom. Again, how can our listeners reach out to you and find you for a little bit of that advice and pick your brain and find out whether or not they're ready? Yeah. So again, on LinkedIn, Casey Jenkins, and then there's a bunch of letters after my name. On my website, 828consultingllc.com. That's eight, the number eight to number two, eight consultingllc.com. Great. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. Right. And now for a little quick wrap up of what's called Anthony's Financial Day. So you heard it from our guests here talking a little bit about life cycle when it comes to logistics and really risk mitigation. Now, as of recording this first episode for the year, a lot of people coming in with New Year's resolution. Oh, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get my financial house in order. Don't turn it into one giant project or ordeal. It's all about turn the ship a little bit, just small steps and process. The first step is just asking the question, If or am I even working with anyone? Just start with that. Just reach out to people, whether it is in your chamber, your network, or maybe here's a little bias, maybe some guy named Anthony Chen. I, I heard he's a good guy <laughs> in terms of financial planning. So reach out to someone and have the question ask. It, 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 just that small little step will be all it takes to get the ball rolling. And that's a little bit with Andy's Financial Take. Thank you for listening in to Family Business Radio.